0: Good morning. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayera. One of the nice things about doing the weekly Parsha, in addition to leaning lessons to our daily lives, is that it has a certain consistency and rhythm, and in a world that has gone crazy, things that bring us back a little bit to routine help restore some of our equilibrium. Parsha's Vayera, the title for today's class is, Are Our Enemies monotheists. This is actually a question I received from one of our class members last week after last week's class, where we discussed the concept and the real tragedy of those dictators or world conquerors, where they have intention to destroy and kill many people along the route of global domination. And in thinking about monotheism, this class attendee posed the question, hey, wait a second, aren't those guys, Hamas, their cohorts, and other anti-Semites also quote-unquote monotheists? So we're going to come to address that question shortly. Mantu Cheshvan is anonymously sponsored in honor and with gratitude to Rosh Hashiva Harav Yochanan and Rebetzin Rifkas Waig for their unique contribution to Torah learning and meaningful impact to Jewish life. May our learning bring true unity, shalom, and healing to our entire Jewish family worldwide. May our learning also be dedicated to the safety of our IDF soldiers, to Achinu Kolbeis Yisrael, and to the immediate return of all who were kidnapped, to the complete healing of all those wounded, and to the speedy comfort of all those suffering. May Hashem bring swift retribution upon all those who have perpetrated and planned evil against our people and their supporters. I know that uh, all of you join me in that fila, and uh, in addition to this learning being for our own edification and merit, may be in the merit of all those sentiments. One of the questions posed to me last week, as I mentioned, is the title of today's class. As we discussed in last week's Parsha, any movement or nation that has a quest of global domination is ultimately on a mission to remove Hashem from the world. For anybody who did not see the five-minute video that was posted last week, I recommend that you do look at it and pass it on. Now, there is no doubt that the Hamas terrorist organization is on a mission to dominate the globe. Here is an excerpt from an article in the Jerusalem Post. I thank Dr. William Rand who sent me this article and I feel it is critically important that we all spread the truth about Hamas as clarified in this article. There is also available an online video clip where you can hear Mahmoud al-Zahar himself express this sentiment of ultimate global conquest. Mahmoud al-Zahar born in 1945, is a Palestinian politician. He is a co-founder of Hamas and a member of the Hamas leadership in the Gaza Strip. Al-Zahar served as foreign minister in the Hamas-dominated area in the Palestinian Authority government in March 2006. And it's unclear what his role has been, but there's a lot of things to look up online, if you want, about who Mahmoud al-Zahar actually is what he did and what he does. Now, the quote about his statement of philosophy is, the entire planet will be under our law. There will be no more Jews or Christian traitors. We believe in what our prophet Muhammad said, Allah drew the ends of the world near one another for my sake, and I have seen its eastern and western ends. The dominion of my nation would reach those ends that have been drawn near to me. Sahar said in this video, again, you can see this transliterated, I mean, translated, I should say, online. The quote is as follows. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth will come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, no treacherous Christianity, and no killings and crimes like those being committed against the Palestinians and against the Arabs in all the Arab countries, in Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and other countries, he said. Now, obviously, there is so much that is um, horrible about what was just said, but he is professing that uh, there will be a unified one-law system, and that itself is You know, not in contradiction to the fact that one day, as we know, the whole world will recognize that Hashem is king. So the question for us is how to parse the difference between this philosophy that he's expressing, where there is Allah, which is Hashem in their terminology as one God, and their mission of global domination from what we as Jews understand to be our mission our understanding of Hashem, and our worldview as to a unified global vision in the future. That's what we're discussing today. The dictionary definition of a monotheist is the doctrine or belief that there is but one God. Now, historically, the peoples that are said to have that system of understanding or doctrine are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So that's the question in front of us. Do the terrorists of Hamas maintain the truth of one God as creator of the universe? Are these murderous enemies of ours and seekers of global con- conquest, genuine monotheists? So in order to address this question, we will examine a few areas of the Torah from Sefer Bereshis, including to some extent, and this week, to a larger extent, A major story in the Torah with which most of us are extremely aware is the enigmatic and powerful episode we call Akedas Yitzchak, the Binding of Yitzchak. When the Torah describes this event, everybody just give me one second because as more people sign in, I need to press mute. Everybody can still hear me? (coughs) Great. When we read this story, we are struck Even horrified by the incredible devotion that Avraham has that allows him to bring his own son as an offering. It's it's both unbelievably impressive and seemingly horrifying in the same breath. When we look closely at the details of the story, the following striking aspect needs to be explained. As we mentioned, it is Hashem himself that instructs Avraham to take his son and bring him up as an offering. Yet, when it comes time to deliver the message to Avraham, not to slaughter his son, that message is delivered by an angel, not by God directly. The question is obvious. Why is it that Avraham listens to an angel instead of listening to his original instruction, which was delivered to Abraham directly by Hashem himself. The Talmudic principle states that if we have a student telling me to do something, let's say a peer of mine, or my teacher telling me to do something, I obviously should listen to my teacher and not to my peer, not to my fellow student, when those two things contradict. Here we have Hashem himself saying, kill Yitzhak bring him up as an offering. And we have an angel saying differently, saying, don't offer him as an offering. Why is it okay for Avraham to ignore that which Hashem said and to listen to an angel? And even for those of you, and this is usually what happens, that people want to argue, come on, an angel is a messenger of Hashem. Obviously, the angel is telling Avraham the truth that Hashem, so to speak, changed his mind. It still begs the question, why would Hashem devise the test this way? either both times it could be Hashem or both times it could be an angel. What's the purpose in Hashem saying, bring him up as an offering and the angel saying, don't do it. Why is it set up that way? Notwithstanding my previous questions that maybe Avraham shouldn't listen. And as a friend of mine likes to say, you would think at this particular moment, Avraham would say, uh, I hear you, Mr. Angel, but Maybe you can have God tell me or let me check with God because I know what he told me before. And he doesn't do that. He simply stops and he doesn't slaughter Yitzchak. Now, another incredible aspect of this story is that from the outset, Avraham declares to his attendants, the Torah calls them Arin. Avraham declares not to Yitzchak, but to the other servants that attend him, which the rabbis say are Yishmael and Eliezer, that he and Yitzchak will return from this service to Hashem. Makes no difference if the Pashub Shad is that there are other servants or that these are our Eliezer and Yishmael. Either way, Avraham makes a de- declaration that he and Yitzchak will return. In chapter 22, sentence 5, the Torah says, then Avraham said to his servants, meaning after Avraham traveled and on the third day he saw the mountain from a distance and he knew where he was heading, he turns to his servants. You stay here with the donkey, he says. The boy and I, meaning Yitzchak and I, will go to there. We will bow and we will return to you. We will return to you. It's shocking. Why does Abraham make this statement? Why is he saying, en route to a mission where Hashem said, go up. Offer up your son, your only son, the one that you love. Why does he then say, hey, we're going to go do this service and we, me and Yitzchak, will return to you, the servants, or Ishmael and Eliezer? Why does Abraham make that statement? Does Abraham plan not to offer up Yitzchak as a burnt offering? From the end of the episode, it is clear that's absurd. Because Avraham is tremendously blessed specifically as a repayment for the complete devotion he demonstrated in not withholding Yitzchak. That's what the verses say. I know that you are one who has awe of Hashem and that you have not withheld your son. And because of that, you are blessed and your children are blessed and the nations of the world are blessed through you. So it's clear that Avraham did not withhold Yitzchak. So why in the world is he saying we will return? Now the Rishonim asked this question and the, the, the resolutions seem quite difficult. I hope that what I'm going to suggest today is something that not only um, we like, but also that maybe works in conjunction with at least some of the Rishonim. Rashi, for example, says when Avraham says we will return, referring to Yitzchak and Avraham coming back after this akeda event will happen, He made a prophecy, but he didn't really realize the prophecy he was stating. Like it was a prophetic statement that came out of his mouth. Kind of like what you would say a Freudian slip. You intend it, but you don't really realize it. And you don't know why you're saying it. Something like that. That's Rashi. Obviously, that needs explanation. Ibn Ezra brings his own opinion and other opinions that Avraham said, we will return so that Yitzchak would not become frightened and run away. Even though there's many, many difficulties with that shot, for sure the rabbis on it, meaning the Chachamim of the Gemara and the Midrash don't concur with that theory. But one of the major problems with that idea is that Avraham didn't say anything about making a sacrifice in this sentence. All he said is, we will go up and we will bow down and we will return. Why should Yitzchak get frightened if he says, we will go up and bow down and I will return. Avraham hasn't suggested that he was going to kill Yitzhak at this point. So there are many other difficulties besides that, but Ibn Ezra brings that from himself and from other people as well. This is the famous Ibn Ezra that says that, listen, if you want to accept the rabbis, that's good. There's, uh, you know, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, he says he prefers to think of Yitzhak as age thirteen, and that uh, he is, uh, you know, himself. Yitzhak himself is not necessarily such a willing participant. Difficult Ibn Ezra. That's what he says. That's not the way we're going to go, because again, that's not what the Rabbis say. I just bring it up in order to demonstrate that this concept "we will return" needs a lot of explanation. Now, in addition to these sentences. Um, where Hashem says, Because you have done this and I have not and have not withheld your son, I will bring blessing upon you and your descendants, making them as numerous as the stars of the heaven and the sands and the seashore, and your descendants shall seize the gates of their foes, right? That means we will conquer our enemies. All the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your descendants because you have obeyed my commandment. In addition to all that, right, where it's abundantly clear that Avraham endured a major trial and offering itzuhak. There's one last area of analysis from the Akedah story that I would like to bring to our attention. And it comes from the last sentence of the Akedah. This is chapter 22, sentence 19. It says, Avraham then returned to his servants, and they departed together for Be'er Sheva, and Avraham stayed in Be'er Sheva. Three simple questions on this sentence. Number one, why is Yitzchak not mentioned in this verse? It just says Avraham returned to his attendance. It doesn't say Avraham and Yitzchak returned. Well, that's interesting because Avraham said, we will return. And again, there are interesting commentaries, Midrashim, not necessarily the simple chat. Some say that Yitzchak went to learn in yeshiva. Some say that Yitzchak went to need, uh, went, he, he needed to heal. Other people say that Yitzchak is included in Avraham at this point. Very interesting. So the question stands, why does it not say that Yitzchak returned? Question number two. Why is Avraham returning now to Be'er Sheva? Be'er Sheva, which is not far from the conflict, he and Sarah are currently living in Hebron. They're not living in Be'er Sheva. We know that because that speaks parasha opens up with Avraham, going to bury Sarah, Sarah in Hebron. Rashi learns this way, the Ramban, other everybody understands that at this point, Abraham did not live in Be'er Sheva. He didn't travel seemingly. Seemingly, he does not travel from Be'er Sheva to the Akedah. He's living in Hebron. So why after the Akedah is he going to Be'er Sheva? And finally, and this to me is like really irksome, what does it mean that Abraham goes to, yachdav, together with his servants. Before, when it says yachdav, it means Avraham and Yitzchak are together in going to do the service of prostration or the Ola offering. They're doing that together. But now, after the Akedah, the last sentence says, Avraham returns to his attendants and they go yachdav to the Sheva. What does that mean? They go to the Sheva. Why do you say together? Well, what's the unification of mission and purpose with his servants. Yitzchak is not even mentioned. So those are our basic questions. Are they monotheists? And in terms of our parsha, why is it first Hashem that says, offer up your son, an angel that says, don't offer up your son. What does it mean? We will return instead of I will return, or don't say anything about returning, but why say we will return? And what does it mean? And why is it that at the end of the Akedah, When Avraham does return, it doesn't say, mention Yitzchak. Why is Avraham returning to Be'er Sheva? And what does it mean that Avraham is together with his servants going to Be'er Sheva? So I'd like to suggest the following explanation of monotheism. Now, from the outset of this discussion, I should mention that there's a classic dictionary definition of monotheism which is true and not true. And that's what we're coming to explain today. So the dictionary definition of monotheism, as we mentioned before, is in the belief, in one belief or doctrine of one God, meaning that there is one God and that he is the creator of the universe. That's kind of true. And I suggest that the part of that that's not true is all the critical corollaries that come from that truth. So if we say that real monotheism is just in the knowledge of the creator and that there is only one God, what does that say about the creator's involvement in the universe since then? It says nothing. But if we in fact do understand that there is one creator and one God, then we have to understand that there is a reason that he created and that his will can be known. So therefore, I say that genuine monotheism is the recognition of God's involvement in creation, not only his being the creator, but it's also his involvement in creation and knowledge of his truths. Now, of course, all of that becomes evident to the world and to creation through the story of the Jews, the exodus from Mitzrayim, all the miracles that happened, the giving of the Torah at Sinai. However, there is a major, major truth that was evident beforehand about God and his involvement in creation. And it directly comes from the Akedah, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So ultimately... I'm suggesting that true monotheism does not just mean that God is creator of the universe and that there's only one God. It means that the one true creator has a purpose in creation and he conveys that purpose to mankind because otherwise God doesn't really mean much. He created and there is no purpose. He created and there is no conveyance of his will to creation. To me, that's not tenable because God, who is everything, is also the God of all truths. So the therefore is that the test of the akeda is not only the test of the willingness to listen to the one God, but it's actually the ability to understand and listen to the words of the one God, and we examine what those words are when you are facing a contradiction. So I'll explain. God is the true creator. And he told Avraham, offer up your son Yitzhak as an ola. Great. Clearly that means to be willing to slaughter and sacrifice Yitzhak as an offer. That's what it means. And Avraham is ready, willing, and does carry forward that commandment. Ultimately, in the moment of truth, when he's holding the knife, as the Torah describes, and he is poised, ready to strike at the neck of Yitzchak, a voice calls out from heaven that is an angelic voice, and tells him not to slaughter his son. In that moment, Avraham can either decide, excuse me, I know what God said, I know he said to kill Yitzchak. So, bam, down comes the knife, and Yitzchak is dead. Or, Avraham can say, wait a second, I know God said to offer Yitzchak as an offering, but the angel shouldn't be lying. That doesn't make sense. After all, he is a messenger of God. So maybe I need to re-examine what I think God said. That willingness re-examine the words of God is the commitment to true monotheism. The jihadist says, I know what God said and is not willing to re-examine the truth of what God said because what he wants is his interpretation of what God said, not what God actually said. That's the difference right there between Yitzchak and Yishmael between true monotheism that is genuine, where a person is committed not to what they want God to be saying but to what God actually said, and that is a test of the Akeda that applies uniquely to Avraham and not to Yitzchak, the decision of whether or not to kill Yitzchak in that moment, even if Yitzchak is willing, is not up to Yitzchak, it's up to Avraham. And therefore it's considered the test of Avraham. But more importantly, it's Avraham's mission, it's Avraham's purpose, and it's Avraham's accomplishment for his descendants through Yitzchak to live this life of monotheism where this life of monotheism has tremendous, tremendous implications. As Jews, as the descendants of Yitzchak through Avraham, we are committed to the truth of the words of Hashem. Now, only we have the truth of the words of Hashem. Just like at the time of the Akedah, only Avraham knew what Hashem told him. Not Yitzchak, not Ishmael, and not Eliezer. And what Avraham knew is two things. Hashem told Avraham right now to offer Yitzchak as an offering. But a few sentences before that, which we also read on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem said to, to Avraham, Ki the Yitzchak lechazara. Through Yitzchak you will be having children that will be called your children. Through Yitzchak will be called your children. Now, does Avraham know how to reconcile? Through Yitzchak will be called your children together with the phrase that says, take up your son as an offering. No, but he knows one thing, that God can't be lying. And therefore we will bow down and we will come back to you. I have no idea, says Avraham. What does it mean we will come back to you? I can't tell you that Yitzchak is coming back because, hey, Hashem told me to bring him up as an offering. But I can't tell you he's not coming back because, hey, Hashem told me. That, if I may say, ladies and gentlemen, is the situation of our lives today. We have no idea what the future is to unfold in front of us. What's going to happen with all of our brothers and sisters in Eretz Israel? What's going to happen to us here in America and to all of our brothers and sisters across the world? We have no idea. But we do know this. The Jewish people will absolutely endure. According to Ramban, by the way, the promise of the children of the Akedah that Hashem is promising here is that no matter what, the Jewish people will absolutely endure and no sins are going to be able to take that away. That's the Ramban says here on the Akedah. Vinashuvah means, and I'm going to prove it to you in a moment from an incredible commentary, but Vinashuva means somehow we, Avraham and Yitzhak, will endure in the purpose of this world. I don't know how, says Avraham. I have no idea how. But that's my declaration. My declaration is Vinishtachaveh. We're going to do this service and we will return to you. Which means two things. Not only we will endure, but to you, to you, the attendants, Eliezer and Yishmael, because we are going to be moving forward into the future with you. We're not going to cast you out, Yishmael or Eliezer or whoever these attendants are. We're going to be returning to you. I don't know how, but that's what's going to happen. That is a fact. Okay, I can't explain how. What do you want from me? I'm not clairvoyant. I don't know everything about Hashem's intention. I don't know what how it's supposed to unfold. I'm not supposed to know. Fine. But that's what's going to happen. And that's the declaration that I say that we all need to have today. It's beautiful that we say, Am Yisrael Chai. It's beautiful. I love it. It's 100% true. And Rav Yaakov Weinberg told me uh, in the 90s that a major reason that Kali Yisrael had the tremendous merit of so many miracles in Eretz Yisrael from 1948 until the mid nineties. And there were tons of miracles that happened in all those decades. He says, because the Jewish people had the acceptance of Am Yisrael Chai, he says, that's a refrain that all Jews accepted. And he was commenting that unfortunately, it doesn't seem like all Jews are buying into that. Well, Baruch Hashem today, Am Yisrael Chai is becoming contagious again. But I would like to suggest that Vinashuva is a better, declaration. We will return. The Baal says on the word V'Nashuva that there are six times that the word V'Nashuva is mentioned in Scripture. I'm not going to go into great detail on this Baal but suffice it to say that almost all of them talk about repentance. Says the Baal that the V'Nashuva of the future, famous sentences that we say HaShiveinu HaShem'Elecha V'Nashuva other sentences, talks about the Jewish people's repentance, says the Baal The Jewish people's repentance is in the merit of Avraham. That's what he says. And over here, Avraham is saying, and the repentance of the Jewish people in the future is teshuva. What does Abraham, declaring to the attendants, have anything to do with Jewish people repenting? It means two different words. It means we're physically going to come back from this place where we're bound down and doing service, and we're going to repent. What do the two have to do with each other? The answer is what we're saying. Avraham is saying, I cannot reconcile what's about to happen, but I know we will return. We will endure. And if the Jewish people understand that we, the Jewish people, will endure, it's only one possible way in a relationship with Hashem, we will return in repentance. And we will endure with Hashem. That's the only way that it makes any sense that we will endure. We have to repent. And that's what Avraham Avinu is saying. He's saying, I cannot reconcile, but I know that we will endure. We have to say we cannot reconcile the barbarism, the atrocity, the hate, the 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 incredible insanity and virulent hatred of the peoples of the world, the rise and in in, in the, the the blatant hatred towards us. Who can explain it? Who can understand it? And who can imagine what could unfold from it? None of us, but we will endure because we will repent. and so therefore. A major, major lesson of the Akeda is what Avraham Avinu does. He has a tremendous commitment to enduring with Hashem. He doesn't think he knows what Hashem said. He says, no, I need to go back to the words. What did Hashem say? Did Hashem say to slaughter Yitzchak? No, Hashem said to offer Yitzchak up as an ola. The only way that Yitzchak can be offered up as an ola is if Avraham intends to kill Yitzchak. Otherwise, it's just a game. If Avraham is saying v'nashuva, <laughs> I know God doesn't really mean it, and I know I'm going to come back with Yitzchak. It's all a charade. Yitzchak doesn't become an ola; it's like a, you know, it's like a joke. He doesn't become sanctified. He doesn't become elevated. He doesn't become an act of devotion to God. It's a, it's a joke. So how does he become an ola? Only because Hashem wants Avraham to think that Hashem intends for Avraham to kill Yitzchak. But Hashem says, I'm going to test you, Avraham. Are you able to understand that that's not what I said in the moment of truth when the knife is poised over the neck of Yitzchak? And the answer is no, Avraham can rethink because what Avraham really wants is to know what Hashem wants. And that's what we all have to be asking. And I'm so proud of so many of us, the people that I know, and it seems to me like Jews around the world are asking, what does Hashem want from me now? And we have to go seek out what does Hashem want from us now. And we have to know and ask and go back to the Torah. What does the Torah say now? And all these questions are great questions about where to live and what to do. And how should I spend my, you know, my, what is my purpose now? And how do I help in the effort? All of those are great questions. And we need to re-examine the words of the Torah based on the current evolving times. And we need to go for answers. But that's our commitment, because it would be easy to say, oh, God wants us to destroy all the bad people in the world, and that's the point, and to completely forget about God wants me to improve as a person. God wants the Jewish people to respect and love one another despite their differences. It would be easy to forget all that. But if we're asking, what does God really want? We have to go back to the words, and we have to remind ourselves of the words of the Torah and the words of the Chachamim over the ages, and recommit to that which is ultimately, I'm saying, Vinashuva. So why does Avraham go back to Be'er Sheva? And why does it not mention Yitzchak at the end of the Akedah? So in line with our thesis today, I am suggesting, because Be'er Sheva is the place where Avinelech said to Avraham, I see that God is with you in everything that you do. I need to make a treaty with you. That's what the Torah just got finished telling us, which we also read in Rosh Hashanah, And the message of Be'er Shabbat is that we do make treaties with nations that accept the truth that the true God is with the Jewish people and that they need to understand from the Jewish people what God's purpose in the world is for our people. Just like Hashem said, at the Akedah, at the the passing of the test that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you, the nations of the world need to come understand, to come to understand their purpose in the world by way of the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people are the ones with the true prophecy and have the true words of God and they have the truth to share with the world. Just like Avimelech understood it, Avraham returned to Yitzchak with Yitzchak, doesn't need to mention Yitzchak, I'll explain about that in a second, to Yishmael and Eliezer, and they went together with the specific intention of this new paradigm that was now created at the Akedah. What's the new paradigm? That the God of Avraham and Yitzchak are the ones through whom the rest of the world will be blessed and need to take direction. That's the truth, because it's Hashem, Telling Abraham, Yitzchak is a special offering. I have a unique relationship with you and Yitzchak. Through Yitzchak will be called your children. You have a sanctified mission in this world, and you alone will possess the truth that everybody will need to look to you to know what the truth is for them. Avimelech knew that. And in fact, if you look at the story, what does Abraham do? He tells Avimelech, You can't have people stealing. Imagine, Avimelech is literally rebuking King Avimelech from that place called Gaza. You can't have people stealing. You can't can't run a a legitimate kingdom in the world where people are stealing from one another. And Avimelech makes a covenant and a treaty with Avraham, knowing that he needs to align himself with Avraham because God is with Avraham in everything that he does. That's the way Jews need to be presenting themselves, because it needs to be true, because we've returned to Hashem, to the rest of the world, and the rest of the world will need to come to Tzion and learn Torah, as I've mentioned before, is referring to the nations of the world, coming to Zion, coming to Yerushalayim, to know the truths of the Torah. So, give me one second, please. Um, yeah. Now, when we look at the entire story of the Akeda, I think we can understand very well that the major, major message of the Akeda is that our commitment to the one true God cannot be for our own agenda and purposes. And the sad truth is that many people have brandished the label monotheism, or God's holy mission in the world, also known as jihad, under the banner of this is what God wants. So not only is it that their prophecies are unreliable, it's also completely illogical and reprehensible, because there is no truth to the fact that God wants people to die because They don't see God the same way that other people do. Even in Judaism, our commitment to killing idolaters is Jewish idolaters or nations that are possessing the land of Israel and they don't belong in the land of Israel. Our ultimate vision of the future is not to go around killing all those people that are idolaters. It is that the people themselves should come to the clear recognition that God is king and that everybody will declare Hashem is king. And says the prophet Zechariah, yeah, it will be that other people will die or they won't get rain in one of the examples in Zechariah for not recognizing God, right? Upon the nation of Egypt that doesn't come to prostrate in the Chagasuchus, they will not get rain, chapter 14 in Zechariah. Yeah, there are ways that Hashem brings about the downfall of those people. But it's not not our job to go around the quote 510 million square miles of the globe and kill everyone who doesn't agree with us. Because every person is created in the image of Hashem, not to mention all the innocent people. And knowing that there's one God is a major step forward. We hope they get to the next step, which is knowing the truth of the one God and being able to submit to the truth and the words that that one God says, not some fabrication that they would like other people to believe that they think that God said. And of course, we have terrible examples in our history of quote-unquote monotheists using that that banner of godliness in the name of committing horrible atrocities, Hamas now. We have Christian examples. We've had other uh, terrorists and other examples from Islam and other nations all in the name of, quote-unquote, that this is what God wants, and it's not what God wants, and there's no proof to the fact that it's what God wants, and the Torah tells us otherwise. And so we have to understand that monotheism, in a strict definition, okay, so they know that there's one God, but according to the Torah, that really doesn't mean nearly enough. And because of the way that can be so badly, badly misused and perverted, horrible things can come to the world because of it. And I'll conclude with the fact that Hashem says about Yishmael that he too will be a nation and also that he is a wild boar of a man and also that everybody's he, he will be in everybody's uh, business, so to speak, he will be sticking out his hand where it doesn't belong and other people will be against him as well. I just want to point out that the ultimate success of Yishmael can only come with the submission to the truth of Yitzchak as the true heir of Avraham, and like the Torah concludes by the Akedah. If they're going to fall under the Avraham both mission and accomplishment of establishing this commitment to the truth of Hashem's words and coming to the Jewish people for that understanding, they can be a very successful, very good and important and meaningful influence in the world. But if not, then unfortunately, they are falling under the category of the worst kind of people in the world, as represented by Hamas today. And unfortunately, that kind of evil is akin to Amalek, and that kind of evil we're not allowed to let exist. So more on that another time. I just wanted to conclude with that final understanding. So hopefully I'll get to more uh, of a summary of practical applications, but just for right now, I think we need to express the v'nashuvah concept as a declaration of endurance, which is combined with a declaration of teshuva. To me, that's a more advanced form of Am Yisrael Chai. Also, we need to be looking for platforms where we can express to people that the truth of monotheism is not just that there is one God, but that the one God has specific truths that he's conveyed to the world, and we all need to adhere to those truths. And we should talk about things like human beings being created in the image of Hashem. We should talk about the fact that God cares very much for all human beings. And we should talk about the fact that the truth is that God gave us the Torah and that we have a unique tradition in it for anybody who wants to know more about it. So I think those are some of the practical things. And lastly, I think we have to give ourselves the the confidence boost and the, the uh, reality check At the same time that we will endure, we also are repenting and we need to work on all of the above. We need to have the positivity of the opportunity that's in front of us, but also with the recognition of the improvements that we need to make in our own lives. Okay, anybody with a question or comment? I see one on the chat. Give me one second.
1: Thanks, Akiva. See you next week. Bye, everybody
0: thank you thank you Rhoda. feel I I don't understand your question that well do you mind explaining it
2: which one I wrote three comments uh
0: the one to everyone um the last one
2: no I just wanted to point out that that you by virtue of the fact that they kill everybody doesn't agree with them proves that their philosophy isn't true because that means they can't convince everybody
0: oh yeah interesting point yeah like if it would be true, why doesn't everybody jump on board? you're saying
2: yeah um, or, or could give a rational argument why why must you kill everybody that doesn't agree with you? it because, because the only reason you're killing him is because he his existence is is an actual contradiction to what you're all about, which is false yeah, it's definitely something
0: to think about mhm you want to go and back then, to your other
2: yes, I would yes, yes, go ahead, so the other comments were um Let's see. I gotta look back. Um, uh, yeah, you were saying that the Jewish people endure. And one thing I noticed when I was taking a college course, and I had Reform rabbis in the course, they were always, uh, you know, chirping about the wanting Judaism to survive, meaning they always had this sense that Judaism wouldn't survive, and the reason was because they're not committed to the Torah.
0: Yeah, look, there's no question, but you know, it's hard to. Um... It's hard to win with other Jews on that on that argument, you know. To, to those Reform Jews, you know, they they have their biases and the reasons. Uh, but I do think uh, that what they have to um, become aware of is that uh, Judaism is not extending to the next generation unless it's Orthodox Judaism. And yeah, that's, and the,
2: you know and the if they
0: don't care thing, about that, and then why are we having a conversation? You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, sure. And the last, the second thing was. I guess the question is, what, why was, what bothered me is, why was Avram offering the Ram instead of his son? Like, what's that afterthought? Why does he have to do that? What's in the, why is it miraculously there that Ram is stuck in the thorns and he's able to take it and, you know, what's that all about or that's just a different story? I mean, how does it fit into the Haqqaeda in general and especially according to your explanation?
0: Yeah, so, um, uh, so that's a very, uh, very good question. Yeah, on all opinions. I don't have a great answer, but I do think that the one of the ideas behind it is that it concretizes the fact of the service, meaning instead of it just being, okay, well, you know, I, I went through the motions, let's also have a motion of actual service. But I agree with what? you that...
2: But why does it that okay? But why? But then, why does it need a miracle? Because if you look closely at the story, yeah. think yeah. about it. How did they get stuck in the thing? Avram walks up to a big ram and just takes him without Yitzchak still bound and just takes him yeah. and sacrifice him. No, I him. agree. With
0: you. Yeah, it's, a, it's a very good question. I, I need I need to work on that. Isn't it? carbon?
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, but he's saying why is the carbon necessary? Why why is it necessary right now? Yeah, it's a very good question. Yes. Yeah, so anybody else with a question or a comment?
2: Yes. Also, I just yeah. want to point out that, according yeah. to your explanation, it's definitely very, very difficult. I'm just saying, especially according, according to your explanation.
0: Answer. Okay. I think according to every. No, I'm not answer. saying.
2: I'm not saying it's a question. I'm saying I'm accepting your explanation very well. But now that just question becomes more difficult. Yeah. Well, more difficult, I, mean, I don't
0: know, but maybe. But but you know, it's also why does Avram say before Elkinir Elo Hasel Ola Beni.
2: I think I have to go back to that. Yeah. So, yeah. I think about, yeah.
0: yeah well, well, why does he have to say that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mrs. Kanoff, Unmute, please.
1: OK, just not really. Uh, OK, just to give myself a little bit of optimism. In the past, when you sat with groups of, you know, in your interfaith conferences and there were Muslims there and Christians, um, were any of them amenable to any of these concepts? The- um
0: i i i feel and experienced a little bit less acceptance or maybe even a lot less acceptance from muslim participants if okay. they were let's just say still heavily involved in islam but i definitely <laughs> did get acceptance from uh christian participants a lot and uh, in fact uh, the video that i i sent out last week one of the retired pastors uh, from Pennsylvania saw it and um, they want me to address their congregation. While we were on the class now, somebody else from that congregation also told me that they, they, they're calling it standing for humanity and they want me okay. to talk about that.
1: Okay. but and not-
0: I do think, I do think that there are people that definitely advocate uh, for that. Uh, I think Islam is a little more complicated for a lot of reasons. <clears throat> One of them is that the extremists are uh, very against it as opposed to today, I don't think we find classic uh, Christians in general being against this concept, meaning advocating for global domination or violence, even though there definitely were issues in the past in the Catholic church, that's A. And B, um, I think that um, that they do have a much more uh, calm approach, so they're not intimidating people into, into you know, following them because otherwise bad things are going to happen to them but on the islamic side i'm pretty sure there's lots of terrified people not only
1: i mean terrified people who are terrified to seek a different path
0: or to to actually profess a different uh, class right so if you know because they don't want the extremists coming after them they don't want to be part of the global conquest and they know very well that that's the mission.
1: All right. So speaking out has tremendous consequences. Unfortunately,
0: I I, I would think so, and I think that's also a, a large part of the uptick in anti-Semitism that we're thinking. I think there are plenty of people, tragically even among us Jews, that are you know really afraid to take a stand because of. And even will even be you know worse than not taking a stand because of the, the fear that they have of what's going to happen to them.
1: All right. Okay. Because it's kind of sad that the people that specifically went to these, quote, interfaith conferences, you know, that they, they would have seemed the most amenable to some sort of
0: change. Or, well, there definitely or- are plenty that do. But again, uh, that's why I prefaced it with, If they're still heavily like indoctrinated, like with Islam, be less acceptance. As opposed to many of them have come out already from that uh, that fog of of of, a false reality. There's a there's a fellow who came to speak in Yeshiva. Um, He wrote a book called uh, "The Arab Mind Unchained." I think it's called Unchained. You can look it up. I have the book here somewhere. Fascinating. He grew up in Egypt and the indoctrination, but he chose a different way.
1: Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, I believe that my father is just yes, giving sheer. I have not heard otherwise. Um, so let's just finish with the thank you. Mr. Anything else? Okay, no,
1: just you know. Hi, Raoul. Yes, yes. I, I wanted you to Hi. explain maybe briefly again why doesn't he mention Yitzchak when they're going back to
0: Beersheba? Sure, yeah, I, I didn't do as good a job of that as I intended. So thank you. Just give me one second. Hello. Do we know if I was saying sheer? Okay. Okay, okay. Okay. I'm telling everybody yes. Okay, thank you. Perfect. Thank you. So yes to the shir. So my my answer is because after the Akedah, what's most important that gets conveyed is Avraham's success at the Akedah, not Yitzchak's. So what Yishmael and Eliezer need to buy into at the end is that Avraham, in his willingness to rethink what it is that Hashem told him, that that's the way to get to truth and that they have to come to that truth through to Avraham, because he's the one who initiated that. So, of course, Yitzchak is going to be part of that because Yitzchak was part of the process. And as we know, Yitzchak is ultimately the main offspring. So it doesn't mention Yitzchak specifically to emphasize that the togetherness of 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 Yishmael and Eliezer is with Avraham's accomplishment in the Akedah, which is true monotheism, is being able to go back to the genuine words of God and rethinking not what you want, but what God said. Mm -hmm. So it's emphasizing Avraham because that's what they have to buy into. That's why when they go to Be'er Sheva together, uh, are you talking about the beginning, Yitzchak or the end? I thought you were talking about the end Yitzchak.
1: No, the end, That's,
0: yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. that it says they they returned, they went to Be'er Sheva. it
1: was just Abraham and the servants.
0: Right, so I'm saying, regardless of whether or not Yitzchak was there, and that you could go either way on. It's not important, because what's important is that the truth that they're conveying now to Ishmael, to Eliezer, and in Be'er Sheva, to the other nations of the world, the truth that they're conveying is that you have to go to Abraham to really know what God said. And ultimately, that's going to mean you have to go to the Jewish people. And the people that you have to have a a covenant with are the people that really know the word of Hashem. Not what you would like to believe Hashem said or pretend that Hashem said. And Avraham is the one because he's the one that passed that test, not Yitzchak. That wasn't Yitzchak's test. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Rabbi, Rabbi Zwai. Yes. I'm, um, I understand that he that
2: Avraham um had these two conflicting um commands that he was these two conflicting statements, and he was
0: taking uh Yitzhak up to uh, uh to to make That's this offer to be killed. But when he answers, but he says to the he says to Eliezer and uh, uh, he says to them, and 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 the boy and I will return. He's is he just saying he is confident he is that that's gonna be, be the way it comes out? Why does he even why does he make that assertion? So I'm saying that he's confident that there will be truth to the return, even though he has no idea how. And the reason he makes that assertion is because that's what we have to, today, even be asserting. We don't know how it's all going to unfold, but we know what God said is true. Okay. And that's a confidence that we have to have. It's a declaration that we need to have. And we have to stand by it, even though we can't imagine it. Thank yeah, you. Just like nobody could imagine the United Nations voting Israel in as a nation, as a, as a actually recognized state. And then for the rest of the decades, denying them having a state. Who could have imagined either one of those ridiculous, unbelievable scenarios? But Hashem said, we're going to have the land of Israel. Maybe this is the way, you know, but it will happen. Okay. Have a great day, everyone.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you.